the road. I am Mark DiCarlo, your travel guru, and joined electronically with the tasty and tasteful Jennifer English, James Beard, award-winning food journalist. Oh, we have another fantastic show, Tonio Crianza, who uh, mentors and holds these fantastic uh, trips in Italy where you get to go to Italy and you work on frescoes and they feed you and it's a complete cultural immersion. Uh, we're going to talk to him and then later in the show we're talking to Jerry Wills who has time travel. He has also been on unidentified flying objects. <laughs> so when well, you're I... talking travel, uh, Jerry goes to the top of the list. So it's going to be a fun show. And one of the things that's important to remind everybody that if they want to join in these conversations when we start talking time travel, they can call in at 520-790-2040. But I have to tell you something. You know what I didn't realize? Mm. It's hard to imagine, but there were places 500, 600 years ago that were created by the monks and painted in the most magnificent form that are still being discovered. How can anything in Italy still have been hidden all these years and not been discovered at this point? Well, there's a difference between a painting and a fresco, and, and, and I'm sure Tonio can uh, expound on it later. But when you do a fresco, the color is baked into the plaster that you put on the wall. So what happens over time is gunk accumulates on top of it, but it doesn't ruin the images underneath that's why they've been able to redo the sistine chapel okay. uh, a few times so it's it's and plus italians they do everything better they do I everything mean, better. look at rome the Colosseum still standing two thousand years later and i think it's all the olive oil listen i spent right? time living and studying in italy because i was very very lucky to do so and i'll tell you the story that's gonna because you know i'm a food person so oh, i yes, thought you're a james beard award-winning uh, journalist yeah, but you know, but 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 I'm a pain in the neck, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I what I don't know, I'm gonna I'm gonna extrapolate this right now very quickly, and you're going to learn very very quickly what I don't know about what I don't know. So I'm going to Italy, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I want to trade recipes and learn how to cook this incredible Italian food from the Emilia Romagna region. So mm -hmm. I'm going to take these great classic American regional recipes. I'm going to translate them into Italian, write them on these note cards, have them printed, and then I'm going to trade them for recipes with Italians. Huh? Right? How <laughs> smart am I? How smart am I? So, you know, you're laughing because you know what happens. So I get to Italy yeah. and I'm like, hey, I have these awesome recipes for New England boiled dinner. And they looked at it and they looked at me. And they look, ha, 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 American girl, <laughs> what's wrong with you? We have the most beautiful food in the world. And they literally and very symbolically and flamboyantly took the note cards, tore them up, threw them in the air with a romantic, wonderful, ebullient gesture and said, but I teach you anyway. And so, of course, I learned <laughs> how to cook these foods. But it just in a nutshell will tell you, <laughs> I have the utmost respect. <laughs> it, it, you know what? Italian Europeans in general and Italians in specific live life with gusto, with robusto. They they you know, you get X amount of days before you're in the ground and they squeeze as much as they can out of every single day. And food, uh, as you know, is a cornerstone of their daily life. And because it's very much food to table in Italy, there's not giant grocery chains like we have here. You buy a tomato that was picked that morning and you eat it that night. So the food is very colorful. It's very fresh and it's very delicious. And uh, sometimes if you're stuck in a big city, 
like Rome or uh, Venice or something, you uh, you know you hang out in expensive restaurants. Some of the best food we just we were in uh, Italy in September. Some of the best food we had was in little mom and pop places that were not famous, that were just simple, you know, tomato, pepper, and cheese, or cacio pepe, which is just cheese and pepper and pasta, and it's it's ridiculously delicious. Mark, let me ask you a question because you travel a lot and you meet people who are joyful because they're doing something that they're really passionate about and you visit them where they live. So you get like the best of both sides of their world. They get to show you what they do, why it's delicious, and maybe a little lesson or two about how to live life. In, In all the shows that you've done on A Fork on the Road and all the people that you've met, have you got some, have you been able to glean, you know, some some tips or some lessons about how we could live a little more joyfully? Because at the beginning of the year, I want to tell you, one of my resolutions should be to laugh more, to have more fun, and maybe to live a little bit more like the Italians. Yeah. Put down your phone. People, people in Italy are not married to their phones. That's true. You know, you see people walking around here in America with the phones on a chain around their neck. Really, and it's it's a stunning uh, display of servitude. We are, the, the phone's the boss, and every time it makes a noise, you got to grab it and look at it. That's not how, uh, that's not how you, you live life. That's not, the, you're, you, you live with gusto and joy, and that's what Italians do. And there's two terms, tourist and traveler. I prefer to be a traveler, because when you're a traveler, you don't do the typical bus tourist, tourist things. You go and you stay at somebody's house for three days or you're in a little village and you have no plan and you just kind of live. And that's why uh, I'm excited to meet our first guest. He runs a cultural art and food immersion vacation program for people from all over the world. You go visit him in Puglia and you and 16 strangers spend two weeks or three weeks or however long you want to be cleaning up and restoring old world frescoes in the old world. It's a fantastic program. It's called the Messers Art Restoration and Conservation Workshop. And we have the genius behind this program with us today. Welcome to A Fork on the Road, Tonio Crianza. Piacere. Hi, Mark. Hi, everyone. Hey, Piacere. Uh, Are you in in Puglia right now, Tonino? I'm I'm in Vancouver. I live a part of the year in Vancouver. And I spent my summer doing the programs, teaching, doing the workshop in in Puglia for three months. It's such a great great idea. Explain to our listeners exactly, because, you you know, here in America, you can go on the Internet, you can book yourself, uh, an eight-day trip to Italy for $1,500, and you're in a different city on a different bus every day, and you're like cattle. Your, your experience sounds completely opposite and completely immersive in authentic Italian culture. Tell people what they can expect if they come and visit you for a couple of weeks. Yeah, what we provide is the time to uh, reflect and to practice with the art and history and uh, the food culture of, of, of the region. Uh, time means time, in the sense that our uh, workshops, they uh, are from 8 to 15 days. 
So it's uh, immersive and it's uh, extensive in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the, the program, the activities that the participants will do. And for uh, the um, arts conservation restoration program, for example, they are completely involved hands-on on learning the technique of restoration, but also learning how a fresco is made to better understand the way how they are created so they can be restored. Those frescoes are in underground caves all over the, the, the regions. They are from the Byzantine period. Wow. So, now, when uh, was the Byzantine period? Which, which period? Which time? The Byzantine. Yes. It goes from the, the 9th century, the 10th century AD to the 1400s. Yeah, I was absent that day in college. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had the Dark Ages where no one was painting because, frankly, it was too dark. So, um, so these are these are c- cultural. Uh, these are amazing pieces of art from over a thousand years ago. And you just have random people off the street scraping at them. How do you train them to not destroy what you're trying to save? Yeah, of course there are stages. Uh, and there are of the operation, and there are the uh, the right tools to to, to use. Uh, so participants uh, they are trained in the way they're not going to damage the uh, the, the fests, of course. And the the, the operation are are, are set. Uh, and uh, again, it's with with time because we we requested to have. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it, it, it's it's quite quite long, long days spent spent on learning how to do uh, the, the the restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, Puglia is a region in Italy. It's kind of south central. Is that correct? What What are some of the famous uh, Puglia recipes that we here in America might have heard of? Uh, Puglia region is the southern east part of uh, of Italy. It's the high hill of the boot of Italy, and mm-hmm. we are located right at the center, inland, uh, you know, in, in the region. The uh, uh, Murgia Plateau, a limestone for formation, about 400 uh, to 500 meters above the level of the sea. Uh, the typical dish uh, that might uh, be known in uh, in, uh, in uh, the United States, in North America in general, would be orecchiette, orecchiette in cime di rape, which is uh, the rapini broccoli. Mm. Oh, can be um, uh, Ragu, of course, it's really, uh, really common in, uh, in, uh, in Puglia, and can be uh, um, a chickpeas-based type of recipe, so any kind of pasta with chickpeas and breadcrumbs, um, uh-huh. vegetables. So in Puglia, we, 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 we use a lot of vegetables, and um, another, and, uh, one of the staples, in, the, in our cuisine, of course, it's the olive oil. So anything right. that has to do with olive oil, any kind of recipe involves olive oil, it's what you 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 you, you can call puglia, basically. In puglia, we produce the forty percent of the Italian national production of olive oil. Oh, it sounds delicious. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to hear what a typical day is like on uh, your uh, on your watch. They get to clean, they get to eat, they get to really experience Italian culture. We're going to have more with Tonio when we come back. You're listening to A Fork on the Road with Jennifer English and Mark DiCarlo right here in your headphones.
make sure you never miss a hilariously delicious episode of A Fork on the Road by subscribing at fbpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jennifer English is FlavorBank on Twitter and hashtag FlavorBank on Instagram. I'm at Mark DiCarlo on Twitter and at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram, where I post all the funny things I see in my travels, including cranky tourists. You are listening to A Fork on the Road. I'm Mark DiCarlo with the tasty and tasteful Jennifer English, and we're talking to Tonio Crianza, the curator of the Messors Art Restoration and Conservation Workshop Experience in Puglia, Italy. So, uh, uh, Tonio... Uh, a typical yes. day for someone that comes and uh, takes your uh, uh, signs up for your experience. What what can people expect? Yeah, we we start of course with a nice breakfast uh, in the morning. Then there's always an introduction to the activity. It can be a, a lecture on technique of restoration, or can be a visit to to a site. And then uh, there's the practical hands uh, on activity on the. The, the, the restoration of the frescoes or in the studio because we do also um, painting, uh, fine art painting restoration and uh, uh, lunch, lunch with local dishes prepared by family members, my family members actually. My, my mom also is involved most of the time in uh, uh, preparing on some homemade pasta and with the, along with all the participants. So at the end, it's a it's a, a full immersive experience, also in the culture. A lot of times, people go to Italy, and you know, they go to the McDonald's in Italy to see if it tastes the same as the McDonald's at their house, which is just insane, crazy. I think, especially in Italy, you want to immerse yourself with the people who live there. Yes, this is what one of the aspects that I like to emphasize is the interaction with the local uh, people because. Uh, when someone comes from outside, and this happens in a heavy, heavy culture, of course, uh, people locally, they feel proud of their own uh, expertise, their own uh, daily practices, and their own food, their own dishes. And so the um, uh, opportunity to share with visitors is uh, it's extremely, extremely important. And so at the end of what they get, the visitors, what they get, it's a very unique uh, experience that cannot be... Uh, we repeat it in any other kind of commercialized type of situation. Mark, Tonio, I have to ask the question. I think everybody's probably thinking this sounds wonderful. And when you think about these brilliant frescoes waiting to be revived and revitalized, all of us could glance at them online and look at those faces from history and be haunted and enchanted by them. And we all, let me just speak for myself, I want better for them than my artistic ability. I don't want to end up the story in the news where the frescoes are revived. Okay? There's a part of me that wants desperately, Tonio, to come and do this with you. I don't want to do more harm than good. Talk about the process. Do you have to be an artist? Do you have to be a painter? Do you have to be somehow skilled or schooled to do this? Not necessarily. What we what we do and what I was uh, the uh, the goal that I want to achieve since uh, when I started to, with this program since more than twenty five years ago was the idea of spreading the culture of conservation in terms that if we entitle if we um, spread this uh, approach to conservation 
most people will feel confident and will see fun, feel familiar with the, the artworks at the point that they will become the patterns that will help to preserve the, the art. Look at one factor. Italy itself, and of course around the world, there are many other places, there's so much artworks, there's so much historical sites that government, institution, can never, will never be uh, able to restore, to, 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 to manage, because there's, there's so, so, so many, right? Much, so most yeah. of these uh, sites, especially in rural um, um, situation like uh, like uh, in in Puglia in Puglia region, they are left on on, on their own. But they they are part of an important uh, part, the important heritage. It needs to be to be preserved. So there's so much um, art heritage waiting to be restored. And there's of course so many people like you, Jennifer, wanting to have an experience like that. Uh, so, the, what we do is to give the tools to the participants to 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 deal with the with the restoration, and in this way, uh, sites, uh, historical sites like the ones we're working in Puglia, like for Melo, Yeshi, and other other sites that are not under the uh, management of the government can be restored and can be passed on to new generations. It's like, a, it's like the Peace Corps for ancient artifacts. You come, you soak up the culture, you pay it forward and do this uh, work to preserve it for the future. That's uh, What a great idea, Tonio. Good job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's very, it's very effective. In, uh, this, in the, over the 25 years I've been running the, the, the workshop, I've been hosting in my workshop over 1,600 participants. And all of them have uh, learned something and got an incredible experience, but at the same time, they have contributed to the preservation of the, of the site. Mm-hmm. Plus, wow. they helped. Well, they helped also to, 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 to spread the culture of conservation. They helped also to spread the, the, the food culture of the region. As, as, as well, I, and as just I, the culture culture of the region, exactly. Well, just, exactly. Brilliant, just brilliant idea, and we're, we were, we're so thrilled uh, to have you on the, on the show today. For people that want to take this vacation, who, people who are into art and into food and into just uh, day-to-day Italian Well, an living. immersive, a truly authentic, yeah. immersive experience. Mm-hmm. How can they it, get it, in touch with you? How can they book this trip? Well, they, they go to on, on our website. There's our um, uh, contact uh, e- email, and uh, they inquire, then then can re- register with through registration forms and uh, and uh, there are uh, sessions uh, uh, available for this summer we have uh, two sessions of art restoration one session of um, uh, shepherds and food culture uh, which is another interesting um, uh, workshop uh, connecting uh, the 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 food culture to to the landscape to 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 the land Um, Mm -hmm. people they go to the roots we, we go to the roots of uh, the, the evolution of uh, the, the Mediterranean food, food culture, how to make cheese, what is involved in, in cheese making, the pecorino cheese, in the scamorza cheese, in the burrata, and, and so, so the different technique, how it's been evolved. What is, so it's an anthropological approach to the evolution of food. And people learn as well. They learn 
how the, 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 the recipe and it's fun, it's interesting. And uh, what, what something that we like to do a lot is uh, uh, I ask participants after they've learned all the, 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 the recipe and uh, they did also bread making. We, we make bread with the, with, the, with the baker at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, when they've learned all the technique, I ask them to uh, prepare for the locals a long table dinner uh, and they invite uh, guests from the street to be at the table. So there's a, a real cultural exchange in, the, in that case uh, and uh, wonderful conversations going on at the table. It just sounds so deliciously uh, steeped in Italian culture and food and art. Uh, go for another 25 years at least, Tonio. The website is Messors, M-E-S-S-O-R-S dot com. You can book your trips there and learn more about this great food and cultural and artistic experience. Tonio Criranza, mille grazie for being on the show. Mille grazie. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, you are going to go time traveling with us. No, not just back to the Byzantine era. How about if you could go back and forward? We've taken you back. Now we're going to take you forward. How far forward? Well, I've been reading online that guys can go all the way to the 28th century. If that sounds a little too exotic, maybe we'll go to the equivalent of Europe. Yeah, Europe in the future, you know what I'm saying. We'll be back with a fork on the road right after this. Make sure you never miss a hilariously delicious episode of A Fork on the Road by subscribing at fbpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Jennifer English is FlavorBank on Twitter and hashtag FlavorBank on Instagram. I'm at Mark DiCarlo on Twitter and at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram, where I post all the funny things I see in my travels, including cranky tourists. Welcome back to A Fork on the Road. I am Mark DiCarlo with the tasty, tasteful Jennifer English. I am so excited about this next segment. I love Italy, don't get me wrong, but time travel. I mean, we're almost there. Sir Richard Branson and Elon Musk, everybody's in a race for space. But that's not at all what we're talking about, is it? No. Time travel, you know, some people say it's not possible. Some people say it is possible. Einstein says it's not impossible, right? Uh, if you think of time, uh, you know, there are some people that say time doesn't really exist and then everything is happening at once. So if that's true... Like on a CD, you should be able to jump around in time. And there are people who say that they are able to do that. There are often uh, has something to do with UFOs and visitors from other planets. Now, 20 years ago, if you were on the radio talking about UFOs, you were either Art Bell or you were crazy. But I think with the explosion of the Internet and people information sharing, all these little stories that people were too embarrassed to say out loud are starting to bubble up. People write blogs about it. People talk about it on the Internet, and they realize, holy crap, I'm not the only guy that's, that had an alien experience or saw a spaceship floating over my house. If you've read any of Whitley Strieber's books, uh, quite convincing. Some people think this is all BS, and, you know, they're entitled to do that. But I think it is the ultimate um, – it's the ultimate uh, – how can we be the only intelligent life 
in this universe. I, I just Babe, we're setting the bar pretty high. low if it's just you and me. I mean, come on. I <laughs> yeah. think there's. I think it just goes without saying. There's not only more intelligent life in the universe. There's probably more intelligent life in the zip code. But I, yeah. but I digress. I'm teasing us both because you know, the the truth is what we're talking about has the fascination of physicists, important university scientists and physicists, philosophers, mm-hmm. theologians actual military buffs. I mean, there's a lot of interest in the topic of time travel. And when we talk about this as a subject for a a segment on the show, can you imagine if you had ever gone into one of your pitch meetings at Travel Channel and said, you know where we're going next? I know we went to Wisconsin for a fish fry last week, and that was awesome. But you know where we're going this week? Can you imagine if you'd actually gone in there and said, I'm going to take you on a very unusual trip. We're going to go time travel. What would the response have been? Uh, then you get fired or you get laughed at. But you know what? I, I, I have met a lot of people in my travels, and I can say this without equivocation. I have met several people who have told me stories about UFOs in particular and traveling and, and leaving the planet uh, that I believe, that they believe is true and really happened to them. I mean, if you go back to the Bible, you can interpret the stories of flaming chariots flying through the sky, Jacob's ladder. Uh, uh, if you want to interpret all those stories as modern interpretation, they're spaceships. Okay. They're UFOs visiting people back then. It's just the experience of the people 2,000 years ago. They didn't have flying machines. So how do you describe something that you don't understand or you've never seen before? When the Europeans first landed in their sailing ships on the shores of the New World, the, the indigenous peoples didn't physically did not see their ships until they were on the sand because they had never seen ships like that before it didn't compute in their brain so, so i think as human consciousness expands and experience broadens i think more and more of these stories are going to be coming into the mainstream and, and you know people are believable all right so but here's my question for you and for our next guest and before we get to the segment so is this something that is part of the realm of the metaphysical world are we like some people believe living in a place where there are parallel universe like the 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 matrix simultaneously existing and you can really move realm to realm uh time to time very fluidly and seamlessly by connecting on a higher level or is this something that i'm just too caveman in thinking is an actual physical i'm going to physically transport myself to another place in time. I don't know the answer to that, but I'd sure like to find out. And fortunately, we've got a guest who can do that. He can tell us the answer. Jerry Wills is a uh, well-known psychic healer. He has uh, lectured. He's written books. He's got a fantastic website. And he has also had bona fide experiences with UFO and moving, doing location jumps, as he calls us. Jerry Wells, welcome to A Fork on the Road. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. You're on with uh, Mark and Jennifer. Let's start. I I know you said that you had a UFO experience in Peru. I'd like to 
first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself so that we know that we can believe you. And then tell us about <laughs> He's got experience. a voice. I believe his voice. I don't care about yeah, anything else. He's got the greatest voice I've heard in a month. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate that. Um, well, a little bit about myself. Um, for the past 20 years, my wife, Kathy, and I have been uh, in, deeply involved in looking for lost cities in South America. We um, had a website, Expeditions TV, where we would shoot documentaries and put them up there for everyone to watch for free. That's down right now. We're redesigning the entire thing. But, um, you know, when you're out, out in the outback looking for things like this, uh, you run into other stories as well. But a little bit more about me, I guess. Um, I have, since my earliest memories as a child, had this uh, this propensity for some sort of psychic phenomena. It's just very strange. There's no way I can explain it. Does it I find you the, or do you find it? It it was just part of my my wiring, I guess, just like some people have a great sense of sight or hearing or taste or smell or whatever. Um, this was just part of the equipment that I was born with, and, you know, it's not usual. And I didn't know it wasn't usual when I was growing up. I thought everyone could see, you know, the the wavy, translucent colored um, areas around, you know, people and plants and things and animals. I thought that was just part of what everyone else was seeing. Um, You're talking about auras. Yeah, that's commonly what it's called. Uh, but there's also the other aspects of <clears throat> precognition, knowing what's going to happen before it happens, um, hearing people's thoughts, uh, touching something and knowing the story behind it, you know, that sort of thing. It, it was a, a full gamut of things that I was doing. When I started getting older and was talking about it, and I thought it was pretty amazing, um, I kept getting warned over and over to be quiet. It became much more of a thing to do and to be quiet when my father died and we moved back to Kentucky from Denver. At that point, the folks that I grew up around, the adults, uh, they were very superstitious, uh, not entirely that well-educated, quite involved in religious um, you know, aspects in their lives, and because of that, I was kind of like, you know, the weirdo who was talking about things no one else could even approach. And so, you know, I was ostracized at a young age, uh, nine, ten years old, and told to be quiet, don't talk about it. And it wasn't just that simple. It was more very stern, sometimes violent, just to shut the hell up. Right, because people so are always afraid of things they don't understand so uh, oh, yeah. to have this bizarre uh, you know it's not even really bizarre it's just uh, it's extraordinary but whatever you're experiencing is a function of your biological brain and your nervous system i think some people are just more more in tune or receptive to that whatever that wavelength is for that data than other people you know, well, some people yeah. are smarter than people. Some people are dumber, taller, smarter. It's just, as you were saying, it's how you're wired. 
right? And before the Internet, who could you talk to? Jerry, can I ask a question as a follow-up to that? Because one of the things that I was reading about in preparation for our conversation with you today is currently we're using the language that people are becoming awake and more aware of this. It sounds like when you had these experiences, there was very scant contact with people who were also awake. You were one of what's being described as that sort of first first wave or first generation of people who've been uh, uh, coming to this planet to help us all awaken to this very spiritual connection that we truly all have that maybe we don't have the explanation for right now. Is that the sort of is that the belief that you move through this time travel experience um, with is that what you take with you moving forward? It is. You know, I, I've done a lot of lectures all over the world. I've visited with a lot of people, taught a lot of classes. And the bottom line really is that the more aware you become, the more aware you can become. But you have to be open-minded and willing to go a few steps beyond where your comfort zone is. Mm-hmm. For me, it was no big deal because my comfort zone incorporated talking to dead people, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> but, you know, um, my my uncle, uh, my Uncle Harry, he was fine. He, he was interested. He's about the only one. But, you know, when you're growing up and you're 10, 11 years old and it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'd sure like to know who's going to win that basketball game, University of Kentucky or somebody else. And I just say, oh, it's going to be University of Kentucky's going to win this one, but they're going to lose the next two. Well, when it happened, he took notice. So now I'm telling him who's going to win the Kentucky Derby, who's going to win this game, that game, people that are like boxers, you know, who's going to win this boxing match. I didn't know anything about all this stuff, really. I mean, it was just growing up in the hills of Kentucky is like being in the middle of nowhere with no TV, uh, you know, just out in the boonies. So he'd be asking How would that information come to you, Jerry? Would it be... Like, uh, would you see it actually happening in the future, or you just kind of know it like you know your name? Like I know my name. It was just the damnedest thing. I remember when uh, uh, Charles de Gaulle, I think it was, was going to was running to be president of France, and there were people actually betting because that's what he did. He took my information, went to the bookie, made bets, um, or went to the you know the horse races and made bets, and he was always winning. He finally got enough to pay off his house and have a new car. So, wow. you know, it was just right there in my mind instantly. Who's going to win? Oh, it's going to be these people. And it so was. that's a form. Really... That's almost a form of time traveling. Tell us, tell us about. We have about uh, seven, eight minutes left. Tell us about your UFO experience in Peru. Well, in Peru, you know, that was a whole different uh, thing altogether. Um, I had This is before I met Kathy. I had been down there <clears throat> taking people on tours to Machu Picchu. I had a company doing that. And um, one afternoon, well, actually midday, traveling up by bus to Machu Picchu, encountered this fellow, looked like a hippie, hitchhiking up there. He climbed on top of the bus with me, and we continued on up to Machu Picchu. The strange thing was he had a very odd presence about himself, and he knew my name, and I'd never met him, but I figured maybe someone else had told him. Well, as it turns out, and long story short, because it is a long story, but as it turns out, I'm asking him where he's from, and he says, well, I just got back from Venice Beach. 
I've been up there for three months. Uh, I'm a sociologist, anthropologist, and I was studying the, um, you know, the people up there. And I said, so you're from California? He says, no, 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 I'm not. And he sort of grinned, and I said, well, where are you from? And he says, I'm from the Pleiades. Well, that was like, uh-huh, sure. And anybody that would say that to you must be, like, goofy or something. But he did have an odd presence. Well, eventually what happened was that uh, I saw for sure that he wasn't from here because of UFOs, things landing like that, him getting out. Um, he appeared uh, right. You saw next him getting out of a UFO. Yeah. Yeah, he waved at me, and <laughs> um, you know he became he had this little device that when he would touch it, he, it would be like a bit of cellophane crackling for a moment, not very loud, but then he would turn into a blue sphere and just fly off. Now, it wasn't just me. Was this shocking to see? I mean, I realize that you're a student of the unusual, uh, but at some point, something you've never seen before. What was going on in your mind when you're observing this? I was absolutely astonished. You know, seeing a UFO, I've seen so many that it isn't really, I mean, it's very exciting, but it isn't startling. Um, You know, you run into a lot of strange things, you know, doing what I do. Did other people see the, him turn into a blue orb? Oh, yeah. He flew right through the whole group. They didn't know it was and, him because by the time he got to where they were, I mean, it was like, wow, look at that. What is that? You know, they didn't know it was him. Eventually what happened is I got to meet the rest of those, <coughs> um, excuse me, the rest of those that he was um, with. <clears throat> and they were all scientists in their own right of in different specialities. <clears throat> and they look and, like human uh, beings as you recognize them or you recognize them as something like a human being or you recognize them as creatures but you were in the place where their existence communicated no, a like normalcy people. to you. Yeah, they're just normal people. So they and look like maybe you and me. Yeah, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> well, if you've ever been to uh, Venice Beach, there's no normal people there. So let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> That's what he was telling me, too. He was very yeah, interested in culture. Anybody there. could fit in at Venice Beach and not draw a crowd. That's true. Um, eventually, it turned out that uh, after meeting up with the rest of his party, they wanted to be able to interact with the groups I was bringing down to Peru. And once I got to know them, I figured it would be fine. The caveat was that I couldn't tell the people who they were interacting with. So I, of course, didn't. I I maintained that secrecy. Um, But it went on for several years. Uh, Then it just stopped. And then um, it was a few years after it stopped that Kathy and I were in Peru after she and I had gotten married. And we were sitting with some friends on Pizza Street, which is a famous little area there in Miraflores. And Kathy pointed out, uh, nudged me and pointed out to a guy who was standing off in the distance. And there's really hundreds and hundreds of people here. It's just milling about. And this one fellow was just standing there staring directly like he's staring right at me. And I looked up and I saw who it was. And I said, oh, my God, that's rich. And so I waved at him. 
And he smiled and waved back, and he just turned off to the right and just walked into the crowd, and it's the last I've seen of him. Kathy also had a chance to meet one of the, um, um, I don't know what you would call him. Um, he's a black man, because from the Pleiades, he's certainly not African-American, right? Uh, but um, So it's a bit of a conundrum trying to figure out how the hell to say that correctly. Anyway, <clears throat> the thing is, um, he helped Kathy and I, and then we met up again with him. He helped us in Lima, and we met up again with him in Cusco on an afternoon after we'd arrived. And he wanted to know if we were all right, if it turned out the way we had hoped, and yes, it did. And he could, he's like, good. Well, it's good to see you you guys. And he said, I'll, I'll be around. He turned and walked. As he's walking across the street, he just vanished. Wow. And Kathy saw that, too. I mean, she's a very down-to-earth person. I mean, she's certainly interested in this sort of thing. But, you know, it's like you were saying earlier. If you've never seen it, it must be, you know, there's something wrong with you for talking about it. I have to say, Um, we've run out of time, but I could sit and listen to more of these stories. Like, I'm on the edge of my seat. This is absolutely fascinating. Does this happen everywhere in the world? Yeah. Can it happen anywhere in the world? Yeah, of course. You know, these what I found out is that these folks are living here. They're not just visiting, they're living here. Right amongst oh. us. Oh yeah. They look just like people. You couldn't tell one from the other. And we don't have to go into some meditative state where our higher vibration is making us able to communicate on spirit level. We just walk around and they're just around. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like you have to hope that you'll see them because you probably have and didn't know it. If you want to be contacted by one of these people, as you were, is there anything that you can do, meditate or think about it, to actually draw them to you to have an experience, or is it just completely random? It's random. They really don't like for folks to know who they are, Um, and I don't know why, but, well, I guess there are several good reasons why, but they, um, they really are a lot more at home, away from people, for example, these folks that I was talking about, Rich and his party, they live in a little village up in the Andes that's really far removed from everything that we're familiar with, but they like it there because it's a lot like home, and they're left alone. Wow. Jerry, we are sadly out of time. We would lo- we're would we going to have to have you back because uh, we just scratched the surface. If you'd like to learn more about Jerry Wills, you can go to his website. It's jerrywills.com. Uh these stories were fantastic, Jerry. Please, please come back on the show. I'd like to hear more. Thanks for listening. She's Jennifer English at Flavor Bank, and I'm at Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram. We'll be back next week with another deep dive into travel, food, and funny. Until then, I'll see you at a fork on the road.